0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
3: Well, hello and good afternoon to you. It's five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on your base of Thursday, the... Twentieth. I had a spot on my glasses. I couldn't read the I couldn't read the day of the or the the calendar above. Twentieth of January for those not keeping track. Great to have you with us on another edition of Lifeline. Twentieth. Well, by my math, that means we're uh, two days and one year away from the 50th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, which is handed down by the United States Supreme Court. Two decisions, in fact, that day, Roe v. Wade, Doe versus Bolton, the latter of which seldom talked about, greatly misunderstood, but as we know from my first guest tonight, in fact, is the more pivotal of the two and ultimately the more problematic. While one might have proclaimed that abortion is constitutionally acceptable, under a woman's right to privacy, the second, in an equally, if not far more dangerous fashion, granted to physicians who heretofore had taken an oath to do no harm, the right to suddenly do harm and intentionally take lives. Wow. We will, as I mentioned, this Saturday mark the 49th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. There will be events taking place across the country, marking this solemn day, most notably here in the San Francisco Bay Area. It will be the 18th annual March for Life West Coast. Who would have thought when this event was started some nearly 20 years ago that it would grow into the largest in the entire country, which I think also demonstrates that there's a lot of passion passionate Californians who believe in life, who don't go along with sort of the um, uh, progressive, uh, typical Democrat Party platform, yeah, abortion on demand, you know, keep it safe, keep it legal, etc., etc., but in fact, really do wish to preserve life, protect the unborn, protect those who are defenseless, give voice to those who cannot speak up for themselves. As we mark this anniversary in a couple of days, Brian Johnston joins us. He is the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. He is a best-selling author and the host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And Brian, as always, a great honor and privilege to have you join us.
2: Well, especially with you, Craig, because you've always honored the right to life and not forgotten the significance of January 22nd. So this is a very important weekend coming up. And you're right. The West Coast March for Life is, is is coming Saturday. Also in D.C. on Friday is the March for Life. And uh, there's actually many in California. Smaller gatherings, I believe, on Sunday in Santa Rosa. They have their local one. And folks don't realize this. And uh, having almost grown up in this movement. <laughs> um, you get used to the fact that the media does not want to cover this issue. And if it does, it intentionally misrepresents the issue. And so if you depended on the major media, if that's where you put your values and your ideas, even, you, may disagree, you may not agree with the major media, but they want to reframe what you are thinking. And that's part of their goal is just to get you to quit and just kind of surrender to their dominant message. And k Fax and all of Salem Broadcasting has uh, broken that mold and is committed to objective facts and reality, and objective need for the law to protect those that can't protect themselves. The reason society exists is for laws to protect the innocent, and to hold accountable the miscreants. That's why they call it laws. That's why policemen are empowered to stop bad guys and protect the good guys. It's really a pivotal issue that is the foundation of society, and it was robbed from us these 48 years ago. And maybe this year, maybe this year it'll be overturned, that's our prayer. And as you said earlier Craig, that the heart of it, which is actually getting dough the Dovey Bolton decision is where they got explicit and Blackmun said, look, don't worry about trimesters. And he actually said, women don't have the right to choose the abortion. They can choose to ask. It is only a physician that can determine if it's going to be an abortion. And whatever he or she decides, the child may not have any physical need. Will are not need not be any physical harm to the mother. It's up to the physician to say this abortion should take place and maybe the psychological or sociological reasons, but we'll go ahead and do this abortion. That isn't going to be bullshit that's that's incredibly evil
3: Principle. well and you know I want to stop you there Brian because I, I hope that listeners are, can kind of let that sink in for a moment to understand the enormous implications of all of this we see we, we've traditionally historically believed that Roe versus Wade granted women the right to an abortion under again a, a very distorted definition of the right to privacy um, and I think if you if you look at that on face value of one woman, one aborted child—that's troubling enough. But then, when you begin to fathom the impact of Doe v. Bolton, and the fact that it went a field too far in granting not the right to a woman to choose abortion, but the right to a physician to perform an abortion—that can be done. I mean, what does the average woman, if if she so chose to? Uh, in a fashion take the risk could potentially over a a lifetime of her childbearing years potentially uh, abort You know, maybe a half a dozen children. I mean, there becomes a point very early on when there are certain danger factors involved there that that probably even the most um, uh, careless abortionist would suggest. Yeah, this this is going to be one too many. You're putting your own life at risk every time you do this, and certainly the question of infertility comes in. But when you recognize that Dovey Bolton grants to physicians the right to perform abortions. Who in turn can perform hundreds, thousands of them over a lifetime in practice? Brian, that's frightening, especially from the standpoint of these are the same doctors who initially in their early careers all took vows, the Hippocratic Oath, to do no harm, and suddenly by the highest court in the land are being granted the authority to do just that, to do great Permanent and irreversible harm, and potentially, well, as we know, over the course of the last almost 50 years, claimed the lives of nearly 60 million children. Now, folks, let that sink in for a moment. They begin to realize that that the real evil aspect of these two decisions, companion decisions, handed down the same day, if 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 Roe versus Wade is wanton and dangerous than Doe v. Bolton is Roe versus Wade on steroids. Am I right?
2: Yes, it's, it literally, and you got it right, in the Hippocratic Oath, which for 3,000 years defined the medical profession, it says, I will give no deadly medicine, even if asked, and in like manner, I will not give a woman a formula to cause an abortion. Now, it's very specific in Greek, and it is in English, in like manner. In other words, it's cognizant of it's killing, intentionally killing a vulnerable human being. That's in the oath. So for Roe v. Wade to take effect, and Doe somebody has to do the killing now. And the only profession that was licensed, ironically, is the very profession who is dedicated to help vulnerable people when they're most vulnerable, to never harm them. And that is at the backbone of Western civilization. At the backbone of Western civilization is that every human being is more than merely an animal. A human being is endowed by the Creator with something more. We have, we are in the image of God, according to the Christian tradition. But even those, like the Greeks, who cognizant of the fact that That is a spirit. We are not animals. Because if you can start treating human beings like animals, well, now you can separate them by their appearance, by their color. Now you can say, well, these animals need to be cold. We need to get rid of these certain ones and dispose of them. And since they're just animals, it's okay. We're improving the flock. And that's exactly what the Nazis did. The Nazis, and I'm very proud... Of, and again, he goes, unsung, but a member of the Supreme Court, Robert Jackson, he's an extraordinary man. He was a Democrat. But at the end of the war, he insisted, no, we just don't wrap up the war and say, okay, we won, now we're going to control Germany and everything we are just going to take over. He said, no, no, no. There's something much more at stake. These Nazis went to war against Western civilization's very values. We must hold them accountable. He insisted on the Nuremberg trials. And specifically, the Nuremberg medical trials. That doesn't get enough attention. The medical doctors and even judges, German judges who were not Nazi party members, were put on trial by the Allies after the war, because the Allies were there to represent Western civilization. And there had to be an accounting. Many people at that time did not want the Nuremberg trials to take effect because they didn't want to alienate the German people. They oh, we got to turn these people now against, against the communists, so don't alienate them. But he insisted it had to take place. It is those trials that has the bright line that we must remember. You never intentionally kill a vulnerable, innocent person. That again is the Hippocratic oath has carried that through Western civilization. We have inherited Western civilizations, not not just America, which is precious. The values of America are precious, but the values of America are the essential
3: principles of Western civ. But Brian, let and me jump in here because we're coming up on a break. Yep. I, I don't want to take advantage of you, brother, but can can yep, you hang on okay. with us for a second? Got okay, good. I appreciate that. We'll give Brian a chance to uh, uh, recoup there for a moment, and uh, I say that because we were expecting him to be on for just a short segment, but this is important stuff, and I want you to hear what he has to say. So we're going to take a time out, because we're going to dig a little bit deeper. We're going to pull back more of the layers of this onion, because one thing that has been said, and I brought this up when Reverend Childress was with us on the program uh, yesterday, I believe. Uh, some are speculating that This Saturday's march could be the final one under Roe v. Wade as the law of the land. The question I'm going to pose to Brian when we come back after the break is um, we have seen cases that could potentially overturn one right now before the Supreme Court, whose final decision will be handed down uh, allegedly sometime mid-year. But if that is the nail in the coffin, so to speak, of Roe v. Wade, what does that say of the future of Doe v. Bolton? and its impact on life. Brian Johnston with us, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. These issues and more, he tackles every Saturday on his program called Life Matters. It runs at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. We want you to make it a point to tune in and be sure to catch that program. Life Matters, Saturdays, 11 a.m. here on KFAX. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Brian Johnston as Lifeline continues.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
3: All right, back to the conversation. Brian Johnston with us tonight, host of Life Matters, Saturdays at 11 a.m. here on KFAX, and the Western Regional Director of the National Right to Life Committee. We're talking about the anniversary of Roe v.ersus Wade. Again, that March for Life West Coast will be taking place this Saturday. And uh, let me just get a couple of details here for you right quick. The main event begins with the Silent No More Awareness Campaign at 10.45 a.m. That'll be on the main stage at Civic Center Plaza in the city. Info fair runs from 11 a.m. to 12.30. And then the main event will be, of course, the rally at 12.30. And then the walk from Civic Center Plaza, I guess that would be down or up, I guess it would be down Market Street uh, down toward Market, Justin... Yeah herman plaza and that will begin at one thirty p.m and uh, you can get more information online at walk for life west Co- walk for life wc.com brian i want to come back to uh, the, the question that i posed just uh, prior to the break uh, some are lauding uh, this event on saturday and many that are taking place across the country uh, at the same time as potentially the final one uh, under the tyranny of Roe versus Wade. But I have to wonder, um, the Supreme Court decision, as it looks at details related to Roe, uh, does it also address the tyranny of Doe v. Bolton?
2: Well, that's exactly the question, and I'm so glad that you know to ask that. Many who follow the dominant media are tempted to debate the media's version of what's happening but i want to remind listeners and all of us heard about it but it, it's going quiet there are two cases that went to the u.s supreme court the mississippi law which draws a line at 15 weeks gestation but the other that have been unscheduled and that the administration of of this current president which is committed to unlimited abortion They demanded the Supreme Court hear the Texas Heartbeat Law, if you recall. And the Texas Heartbeat Law was heard by this Supreme Court. And the Texas Heartbeat Law, by the way, is still in effect. Because this Supreme Court said, it's not our place to hear it. You have to wait, Mr. President and administration and pro-aborts. We're the final decision. We're the final court. And this hasn't even gone to the state courts or the federal appellate courts. It hasn't gone up the ladder at all. So we're not going to rule on this. It is still in effect. That's what I remind you. If the media is silent about something, which it often is, they ignore the biggest problems they face. They're, they're at war with reality. They want to give you a new reality. That's the purpose of the news, is to define the social reality for you to think about. They're silent on that law. It's in effect in Texas right now. Texas has no abortions going on right now. You don't hear the media talking about it. And the reason is that the Texas law, personally, I'll give my personal opinion, I believe that law is much more powerful because the Louisiana laws and all previous pro-life laws are designed for the government to prosecute violations, the government to prosecute the abortionists. Here's the problem. And again, look at what's happening in our culture, and you'll understand. Those are known as criminal laws, and it's up to prosecutors to determine whether or not They'll prosecute those criminal laws. So we're looking at San Francisco right now. We're looking in Los Angeles. And you have prosecutors who say, well, we're not going to prosecute certain crimes. In fact, we're going to consider those not crimes. They're just misdemeanors now, because we're the prosecutors. And unfortunately, that's called prosecutorial discretion. And if a prosecutor isn't pro-life, I promise you, and we've seen this in other states, even if there's a pro life law on the book, they don't have to prosecute. And that's what was happening in Pennsylvania when when you saw the Gosnell situation. But more to the point, the Texas law is incredibly different and powerful, because what it says is if you are an individual and you have suffered harm through an abortion... You have the right to personally seek relief in civil court. So the distinction is between the civil law and the criminal law. And under civil law, if you've been harmed, you have the right to go to a judge and say, Your Honor, this happened to me, and it was wrong, and I have suffered harm. And what that means, by the way, because up until this very moment, fathers have no rights this is all supposedly about the right of the mother to kill her baby But fathers have no rights and many times and it's documented because i've met them there are fathers who wanted that baby but because of a a breakdown in the relationship she just killed the kid and the father has no standing under the texas law which is in effect in texas right now and you hear the resounding silence from the media because more than a hundred babies per day are not killed that had been killed previous to this so we're talking about a law that is chilling because they don't want to get sued and they're afraid that if it does go up the ladder that it will be upheld because it is a specific harm. And again, the best way to see the difference between civil and criminal law, I've used this before. The O.J. Simpson trial, all of us witnessed it. It took months and months and months, but it was a criminal trial, and under criminal law, completely different standards, reasonable shadow of a doubt. There has to be certain standards in order to convict. You have to have unanimity beyond a reasonable shadow of a doubt. And you also have to, it's prosecutorial discretion. The prosecutor is one that brings the case. They're very hard to win, but if you're a good prosecutor, you will. Under civil law, and that's what happened with OJ, right after that case, the Brown family said, no, we're gonna sue OJ for killing our daughter and our sister. We have been harmed. This is an injustice. They went to the court. It didn't last half a day. It did not last half a day because it's a demonstrable harm. And it was pretty clear to a reasonable person that O.J. Simpson had been the perpetrator. And that's all that was necessary in civil court. And that's the difference between the criminal law and the civil law. That's in effect in Texas right now. So what I'm looking forward to... And again, this is me speaking, but in my analysis of where we're going, if the Texas law is upheld, and again, we saw in 1973, the court handed down two different states' laws. The state law in Georgia was the Dovey-Bolter, and it was a very different law than the, the then Texas law, which was Roe v. wade It was two different decisions, but they were combined roe and doe were combined to authorize abortion on demand however if these two decisions come down and are found for life if they're combined i assure you the much more powerful will be the right to private civil action because then fathers will have rights again parents and this is very common in california if your minor child Goes to school. As you know, she can be taken out of school. Planned parent could bring it to the abortion clinic. If you think you saw her going by, and you call the school, "Hey, I saw my daughter go by with an adult." "What? Where is she? I want to talk to her." "Oh, she can't come." They're legally allowed to lie for the sake of privacy. You have no rights for your your grandchild who just killed. Under the Texas law, you can. Bring that case and say, Look, my grandch I, I didn't know my daughter was pregnant. We would we wanted to raise that child. We'll we'll care for our children. That happens all the time. I know lots of kids that were raised by their grandparents.
3: Yeah, I think this is a reality, Brian. That that many folks are unaware of, and uh, you know, it, it's 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 a layer. As we were talking earlier, it's another layer of the evilness of these decisions. And quite frankly, states like our own, sad to say, as we're all residents and taxpayers here, uh, that celebrate this. I mean, we've got a governor now that is vowing to turn California into an abortion sanctuary and uh, promise to pay for abortions. Throughout the entire nine months of pregnancy, wow. I mean, really? You can have a baby in eight and a half months gestation and say, yeah, not convenient. That's the end of that. Terminate the pregnancy. That's the reality that we're facing right now. Some critical decisions ahead. We'll continue to follow them very closely. Brian does that every Saturday, as I mentioned on his program, Life Matters. It's heard Saturdays at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. And I invite you to check out the website, californiaprolife.org, for more information not only about the work of the California Pro-Life Council, the California chapter of the National Right to Life Committee, as well as, of course, to get a look into events going on, what will be happening this weekend um, during the Sanctity of Human Life Month and marking the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Hopefully it will be the final such Year that we march for life under the impact of Roe and Doe. Brian Johnson, we appreciate the time, brother, for being with us tonight. Again, uh, more information about his book, The Evil Twins, Roe and Doe How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing, that brand new book available to you through Amazon.com. Again, the title is The Evil Twins, Roe and Doe How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing. Probably the best, most comprehensive insight into the complexities of these laws, a historicity of same that'll give you perhaps the best understanding you'll get anywhere on how we got from 1973 to where we are today. The evil twins Roe and Doe, How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing, available at Amazon.com, written by Brian Johnston. 534 from KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
3: You know, during our conversation a moment ago with Brian Johnson, he brought out an excellent point, and that is that um, not only has Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton granted to um, women the right to have an abortion without question, doctors the ability to essentially kill an unborn child without medical reason, that there's rarely ever one anyway— but also has managed to completely lock the fathers out of the entire process. No invo- but no say-so whatsoever. Now, full disclosure here, yes, this is fundamentally at the core a women's issue, but it affects men too, albeit in a very different fashion, but nevertheless affects them just the same. Let's give a listen to an example of just how challenging this can be.
4: Jun Liu says she's always been an ambitious person. After teaching English in China, she came to the US to study business, intending to return to China to become an entrepreneur. Her plan was to be successful.
5: That's the words I used for myself. And so that's why I worked so hard in the past several years.
4: And then came Bryant, a student she met online. Neither one of them had friends in the Bay Area. So they befriended each other. Soon they fell in love. I was sure that I want to marry her. We we're planning to think about our wedding. We we're planning to
5: say what kind of dress I'm going to choose, where we're going to have a wedding place at that time. And I realized that I'm pregnant.
4: A baby was definitely not in June's plans.
5: I thought, I don't want a baby. I thought, I'm going to get rid of it and we should have some time to build up the foundation for the family, right? So I'm thinking about like, we can have baby like three years or two years later.
4: told me that she even went to the clinic. At the last minute, she said, I can't do it. My mom told me that they, you may regret about having an abortion, but you will never regret about having a baby.
5: At that time, I feel like emotionally, I accept the baby, I accept what he said. But logically, I'm still thinking, How are we going to do? Money, like,
4: job, everything. Just too messy, you know. June could not reconcile her mind with her heart, so she remained undecided. Helpless, Bryant contacted Real Options. They say, all the service that we provide is free, and we are a Christian organization. It's non-profit. And they say, oh, that's really nice. They, They will help us. June met with Angela, a client advocate who answered her questions and talked about options. She already almost finished her
5: conversation with
4: me, and I'm still, like,
5: stubborn and logical. She said, let's pray together to finish our conversation. And I said, okay.
3: And that kind of gives you a sense that... uh as I articulated a moment ago, this is not a only affects women issue. And when you look at the broader equation, uh, not only does it impact women and men, the fathers, but there are grandparents involved and nieces and nephews and on and on the list goes. How do organizations, for example, like Real Options, help to support both women and men that find themselves in unplanned pregnancies. Well, Dale McGowan joins us now, Director of Ministry Advancement with Real Options. And Dale, I understand occasionally you you switch hats and you're involved in helping to uh, provide some encouragement and support to the fathers that come in. Maybe in the same predicament, feeling as if, you know, we're not sure what to do about this. And there's a lot of pressure coming in from family to maybe terminate the child's life. And there's a lot of conflict. And, and oftentimes it puts huge strains on the relationship as well. Tell us about why it's important to also provide encouragement and support for the men involved in these decisions.
1: Well, hello, Craig. Uh, Nice to be with you uh, this evening. Uh, Yeah, we provide two main services to men here at Real Options. One is to meet with men who are the fathers of the baby. It is very common for a woman to come in by herself or to come in accompanied by the father of the baby. We recognize the importance of a voice that the father of the baby can have in the decision-making of the mother, whose ultimate decision will continue the life of their unborn child or terminate it. We recognize the influence that God has given men in the leadership of their relationships. Statistically, the father of the baby is the most influential in the decision-making of the mother of the baby. God designed us men to protect and provide for the women in our lives. If the mother of the baby hears that her partner is supportive of her in these ways, there is a much higher probability that she will actually choose life and bring her child to term. We certainly see that taking place in the story of June and Bryant that was just played Brian, as you remember, also took the initiative to contact us here at Real Options. In contrast to this, it is not uncommon for the father of the baby to say whatever she wants, rather than being an active voice. We have a chance to encourage the fathers to be that voice for his unborn child.
3: And i got to tell you how incredibly important that is. In fact, at a microcosm level for myself, that very issue is what pulled me into the pro-life movement. I had a very dear friend that I would led to Christ in high school. This is going back many, many years now. And uh, he called me one night and said, I got an issue that I'm struggling with. Can we get together for dinner? We sat down over dinner, and and halfway through, the, the conversation was all very superficial. And finally I said, well, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this all. What's up? And before he could even begin speaking, he set down his fork and looked across the table at me, and a tear began to come to his eye. As he was struggling with the fact that his girlfriend had recently terminated a pregnancy of their child, this was not a decision that he supported, and felt as if perhaps he should have done something more to persuade her not to terminate that child's life, and felt as if because he had not been as proactive as perhaps he could and should have been that he was culpable and he was struggling with the notion of you know i know what the bible says about thou shalt not murder and i feel as if right now i'm i'm facing eternity and and uh, eternal damnation for my involvement in not what i did but what i failed to do and and at that moment i began to realize wow this is a significant issue that impacts both men And women, certainly women all the time, but I think oftentimes we're kind of dismissive. And as you point out, uh, the, the the chances of a woman saying, well, you know, I, I'm making this decision because it's going to be interruptive of my career, my uh, scholastic uh, studies, et cetera, et cetera. My family doesn't support me. Oh, and the father is not supportive. And, it, and it is, there's always that larger caveat, which I, I think, as you've suggested, Dale, really gives us an idea that were there greater support coming from the father's? And many of these women perhaps might make a very different decision if they only knew that they weren't standing alone.
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, you actually brought up one thing is that uh, the fathers feel guilty, and we actually have one arm of our ministry that actually deals with that because many times uh, they go through life uh, never having uh, resolved that issue. Uh, On the other hand, uh, real options... uh, Mission is to be uh, life-affirming and to be a safeguard for women, men, and students, and we take a holistic approach to serving our patients. So just like Real Options does when any patient comes in, we help men to learn about their healthy choices while sometimes introducing them to biblical concepts in the process.
3: Help us understand how men can get more involved in this. And I, and I see that as being critically important because, as I say, oftentimes critics will say, well, this is a, a women's issue. You men need to shut up and step aside. But but as we're learning today, uh, just the opposite is true, that, in fact, it involves men very much so. And um, the the kind of pain that can be wrought because of a, a decision to terminate a child's life is something that both men and women will deal with for a lifetime. So toward that end, uh, Clearly, there, there's there's a great need here, and the ability for men to talk to other men and help them through all of this question and answer many of the questions that they have critically important. So, how can guys get involved in helping Real Options in this task?
1: Well, uh, we certainly have uh, many volunteer opportunities uh, throughout Real Options, but one is very specific to coming on and dealing as an optimal health coach basically working with men uh being a being a great listener to begin with uh, uh and helping them to consider all of their options uh and what they can do in relation to uh how they are going to deal with uh the mother of the of the baby and how they're going to interact with her so we have an opportunity to help in that way and we, have a, we only have uh, about, we, have, we only have a couple of um, uh, optimal health coaches who actually are doing that, who are, who are male. And we really could use more like that. So we would love to be able to have people volunteer in that way.
3: And if folks want to get involved in terms of volunteerism, uh, Dale, what's the best way to reach out to you?
1: Well, it, probably the easiest thing is to go onto our website. Which is friendsofrealoptions.net. Uh, that would, could, could do that, or they obviously can, uh, call me directly at 408-490-1310. Uh, so I would love to be able to talk either way, and we would love to be able to provide. Uh, an opportunity for them to come on as volunteers with us. So we do provide training for every person who would be wanting to consider interacting with the men here as we do also for those who want to interact with
6: women.
3: So here's a real mentoring opportunity and, and an urgent need because, as uh, Dale mentioned, there's kind of a disproportionate number of women that get involved in ministry like this, the men not so, uh, out of the uh, incorrect belief that it really is not a men's issue. But (laughs) if we think through it for just an hour yeah, it it absolutely is. By the way, 50% of those that are aborted are baby men, right? And um, last time I checked, it uh, takes men and women to begin all this process. So if you're a guy out there and you'd love to get involved in a program that can help save lives, mentor other men, young men and encourage them in making the right decisions and being the proper kind of leaders in their family as they should be, then uh, reach out to friendsofrealoptions.net. That's the website, friendsofrealoptions.net. Or you can call Dale McGowan directly if you'd like to find out more about volunteering at 408-490-1310. That's 408-490-1310. Or again, on the web. More details at friendsofrealoptions dot net. Thanks to Dale McGowan, director of ministry advancement with Real Options. I'm done, and you head off on retirement. When you think about it, there are a lot of good reasons to retire. But if you think even more seriously, there are many good reasons not to retire early, as our host, financial advisor and retirement planning specialist Pat Vitucci explains. And. Pat, boy, it's it's easy to decide that we want to retire. Far more difficult to decide when not to retire early.
6: Yeah, I don't want to talk about this today because I, you know, most people want to retire early. So let's not even talk about this. I mean, come on. Everybody wants to retire early, don't they? Well, maybe not. I have friends. They tell me the worst thing they ever did was retire They get up, they have their cup of coffee, they read their newspaper, they're done, it's 8.30, what do I do with the rest of the day? My body can't take playing tennis every day, I'm not as motivated. What are you going to do after you quit work? That's the big question. You can't pick up the phone and call your buddies, hey, let's go fishing, let's go play golf, let's go play tennis, let's go for a drive. They're working. They're tired at night. Remember those days when you worked all day and you fought the traffic and you you finally got home and you're full of energy and spunk and you want to say, wow, let's go and do something. And there's nobody to go out and play with. They're all still working. So you have to know what you're going to do with your day after you quit. If you're a very social person, if you've got a lot of things on your to-do list and you enjoy doing them, then maybe you are a good candidate to retirement. But I got to tell you, a lot of folks that I counsel they share with me that it ain't what it's cracked up to be. You know, we all need some intellectual stimuli. And if unfortunately or unfortunately, our jobs create that environment that keeps us stimulated and motivated and social. There's always a social aspect. You go out to lunch with your buddies, maybe. Or maybe you go out for a glass of wine after work. It's real important to understand and drill down as to what you are really thinking about. If you hate your job, it is not a reason to retire early. You need to find a different job. So working in an enjoyable environment is actually better than not working at all. Maybe you you don't like the people you work with. Maybe you don't like your boss, right? It's always the boss's fault why I actually retired. Take a parallel job in a different company. Find a job that doesn't pay as much, but the enjoyment factor is there. You got to really do some introspection as to why you're considering retirement. How about money matters? Do you have enough in your cash flow? to cover that payroll check that you will not receive any longer. There's the monetary review as well. There's the psychological impacts. We've just covered those. And then there's the real greenback matters. Do you have enough greenbacks coming in? Is your cash flow sufficient enough to keep you in the lifestyle you've grown accustomed? And do not, do not say, well, I'm always going to make 10%. So therefore, I'm in great shape. No, pick a really small number, four or 5% perhaps. Be surprised on the upside. But don't put your rose colored glasses on and say, oh, I'm always going to make 10%. And so I I can live on 10% of my 401k, my IRA, my savings. Big, big mistake. Always err on the side of being very cautious. Have low expectations. It's always nice to have higher returns. And you can buy that car you've always wanted. You can take that trip to where you ever want to go. It's all about, do you have a net worth goal that you've hit? Have you hit your milestone? That's called critical mass. You can't factor in the equity in your home if you're not going to sell it and buy down or move to a lesser cost area. Take the house right out of the equation. What is your investable dollars? What's a 4 or 5% reasonable return on those investments? And can I live very comfortably with
3: That number. Do we often make a mistake, Pat, in that we might calculate what our critical mass number looks like and we're kind of watching two numbers? We're watching the number, the bottom line number that comes in on the quarterly statements, and then we're watching the number on the calendar. And when that date hits, we're all ready and charged up to run into the boss's office and fire ourselves, but not really considering the fact that once we hit retirement, Having a budget in place is really important because the overtime check's not going to be coming in anymore. The bonus check will not be there. And so if you haven't calculated what your expenses are going to be in retirement, that can be a critical mistake, can't it? Yeah. uh, Mr.
6: Rosenberg wrote an entire book on the number. It's called The Number. Your number my number is different from anybody else's. Your critical mass number, how much you need in your pile of cash to say, okay, I'm done. Now I'm working because I really love it. And that critical mass number, that number is different, sometimes significantly, and it's all predicated on your lifestyle. If you're the kind of family or couple or individual that their idea of retirement is sitting in front of the TV watching soap operas all day, its pretty inexpensive. In fact, it's very low cost. But if your idea of retirement is traveling a couple, three times a year to your favorite place or playing a lot of golf or whatever the issue is, what are the budgetary implications? So it, it is kind of an intersection of your critical mass number has been achieved and your age is such that, you know, you really say, okay, I'm tired now. My body is not holding up to that hour commute any longer. How about discussing it with your family? Certainly, you're going to discuss it with your spouse if you are married. It's probably a topic that dominates maybe the dinner topic at night. What do your kids think of of your of your tournament? Sometimes you get some real good wisdom from your children. If your parents are still around, talk to them about what they went through in deciding when it was time to pull the plug. Talk to your friends about it. Maybe even talk to a psychologist and finding out what you get from your job today and will you be as fulfilled when you pull the plug and will you have enough stimulation of your everyday living? There are rows of books these days in the bookstore that covers retirement. How about a second career? There's a a book I just bought, Your Second Act, and it really talks about what are you going to do for the rest of life for the next 30 or 40 years? And it's got some wonderful implications. Are you going to be a hunter? Are you going to you take up a bow and arrow? and or are you going to go join a bowling league? What floats your boat? And having time on your hands is something we just never experienced before. We've always been busy. We get up early. We drive to work. We come home. We're exhausted. We put in a 10- or 12-hour day. And you have just enough energy to... You know, have dinner and sit in front of the boob too for an hour or so, or maybe go for a walk after work. But now you've got the entire day. How are you going to spend it? Are you going to be stimulated, psychologically fulfilled, financially fulfilled? All those issues, I would encourage our listeners to to go to the bookstore, Google second act careers, and does that include volunteering? It is not sometimes an easy transition. A lot of folks have said, you know, it's not what I thought it was. Don't be surprised. Do some research before you go in and
3: tell your boss, hey boss, sorry, I'm out of here. And finally, Pat, before you tell your boss that, it might be helpful if you have that discussion with your spouse or other individuals, maybe in the family, that will be directly impacted by your decision, either because the change in income levels or maybe just because you're going to be around the house more.
6: Without a doubt. If you're going to be invading mom's space, her office, which is the kitchen, and you're going to be hanging around, a lot of my retiree clients find it really difficult to reintroduce themselves to their spouse. And now they've got time to reacquaint themselves with each other all over again and sometimes it's a a beautiful thing, and sometimes it's not. So be very uh, mindful of that adjustment for both spouses, especially if you've you've been married, and now you're going to be spending a whole lot of time with each other.
3: So as we've learned, while reaching retirement early might be a laudable goal, just because you have enough money doesn't always mean it's the right choice for you.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's